This isn't all there is. This time that you and I are living right now, 2018, or the 2000s even, is not all that there is. God is bringing about his plan through the generations. And you're a generation. We are a generation that is a part of that. We're a part of that plan. Sometimes we like to think of our lives as being an end in and of themselves. But the reality is, the truth is that we're not, our hope and everything that we're looking at is not contained within just this time frame that we're living in, that God began something a long time ago, thousands of years ago, and he's continuing it right up until this very moment. And he's going to, if the Lord should tarry, he's going to continue it for another many years. And so we have a hope that goes beyond just the time frame that we live in. There are generations who will come after us. And so our hope as Christians is beyond this life. Our hope is for eternity. So we are also called as Christians to leave a heritage to the next generation. We are called to leave a legacy of following Christ, of loving the Lord in our lives. And so that the next generation can pick up the torch, can carry the flame of loving and serving God and having a passion for God on into the next generation, and hopefully they can continue to pass it on to the next generation that comes after them, and on and on and on until the Lord comes. Amen? And so the Lord has a plan through to work through the generations. He's a God of the generations. And we see this in our text tonight in the passages that we're going to look at. We see this. We're going to take a look at a chapter that deals with the death of Sarah. And sometimes there are, there are those things that happen in life where, where family members or close friends pass away and their life on the earth ceases to be, but they go on and hopefully they've left a legacy. And so we're going to look at the death of Sarah and then we're going to look at how the next generation that God continues to work. And so we're going to look at Isaac moving forward and we're going to look at a chapter that deals with Isaac getting married. Amen. So we're going to look at really kind of two things that, you know, kind of have to do a lot with life. Death on one end and marriage, getting married, starting out life together. So we're going to look at both of those things. But in general, we're going to see that God is a God of the generations, that he keeps on working in this generation and in the next generation to come. Amen. So let's take a look at these chapters. Uh, Chapter 23 deals with the death of Sarah. So let's pick it up in chapter 23, verse 1. It says this, Sarah lived 127 years, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham stood up, before his dead, and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me a property for a burial place among you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, and saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. 
Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of the city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it, and I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you, bury your dead. Then Abram bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me, I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to, the, listen to me. The, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Seth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which is in Machpelah, which is before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Seth before all who went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as, prop, as a property for a burial place. So we see here the death of Sarah. We just read a whole chapter of the book of Genesis. Amen? Amen. That doesn't happen too many places uh, these days. But what you just heard was the 23rd chapter of the book of Genesis. And in this chapter, we see the death of Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. It was Abram and Sarai that came out of Ur that were called by God to come out and come to the land of Canaan and follow God. And they became the people of God, really. And they were given a promise that their, their, inherit, their uh, seed would inherit that land. And what we see here tonight is that Sarah dies and uh, there's a piece of the land that actually does come into the possession of Abraham. And that is this burial place, this field and a cave. It's, it's actually, um, it was a, a field with trees and it actually had a cave in it and it was, a, it was a border. It becomes a kind of a strategic location for, for Abraham and his family. And so Abraham comes uh, to mourn the, the death of Sarah, his wife. And of course, they, she had lived 127 years and, um, and, and he mourned for her. And as he's mourning, he comes and he, he speaks to the sons of Heth. He comes to speak to the, the people of that particular area. And he says to them, he says, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you, but I, I need a place to bury my dad, his wife, Sarah. And so he comes to them and he asks to buy land so that he could buy Sarah. And they say to him, hey, you're a mighty prince. You're a mighty prince among us. And so they recognize 
the stature of Abraham. Remember when we came to that passage where I believe it was where Lot was taken captive by the, the kings of the plain. And, and, um, and in that passage, it told us that, that uh, Abraham had within his uh, group, within his entourage, I guess you, you could say, for lack of a better word, there was 318 fighting men. So think of the size of the entourage of, of Abraham. I mean, Abraham was a wealthy man, a wealthy man. So don't, don't, make no mistake about it. He was a wealthy, wealthy person. And, and they recognized this, and they said, you're a, you're a, on one hand, Abraham's saying, I'm a foreigner, I'm a visitor. On the other hand, they're saying, hey, you're a, you're a prince, uh, in, in a mighty prince among us. So pick out a burial place from among our burial places. And Abraham requests to meet with Ephron, the son of Heth. And Abraham, Abraham wants a specific location. He wants a specific field in a cave, the cave at Machpelah. It's actually a word that means double cave. And what's cool about this is, is when Abraham takes possession of this, this actually becomes the burial site for many of the patriarchs. It becomes the burial site for Abraham and Sarah, um, and Rebecca and Isaac are both buried here. Jacob and Leah are buried here, not Rachel. As we get further in Genesis, we'll, we'll come to that place where Rachel dies on the way, and that also is a special place in Israel that you go. In fact, when I was in Israel, I remember we came to Rachel's tomb. It's, it's like a Palestinian checkpoint. <laughs> and, uh, but there it is, Rachel's tomb. So the cave at Machpelah becomes a, a strategic location. And Ephron is there, and he wants Abraham to buy the field. Now, there's some that look at this passage, and they say, oh, well, you know, Abraham wants to buy the field, and Ephron wants to give him the field. And then he says, well, it's 400 shekels. And all that. Basically, what you have here is this is a, this is a classic Middle Eastern bargaining situation where they kind of say, well, you know, go ahead and take the field. You know, go ahead. You know, whatever you want, go ahead and have it. If, you, if you've ever been um, in certain places around the world, you, you've experienced this type of bargaining because it's kind of a way to kind of get you, you know, yeah, yeah, you, you want one of my, my, my things that I've got here? Yeah, go ahead and get, get, get one. Get one. You like that one? Yeah, go ahead and get it. And it's, it's like it's, it, the language is that it's, you know, they're giving it to you, but not really. This is just to get you interested in it. And then, and then they come back, and you'll notice as we read the pa passage that Ephron says, well, you know it's worth 400 shekels, right? <laughs> and this is where the person who now has the interested party throws out the, the opening you know, offer, right? And that, that's usually kind of a high offer, and that's where the haggling would begin. So you throw out a price, and then kind of haggle it back and forward, beat each other up, and then finally you arrive at a price, and Abraham just didn't do any of that. He, Ephron throws out the, 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 the high price, and he just says, boom, weigh out the shekels. He weighed out 400 shekels, which was a lot of money that, that, that Abraham paid uh, for this particular piece of land in this cave. And uh, he pays it out. And it's located in this area that is called Kiriath Arba. And um, whenever you see 
um, Kiriath, Kiriath or Kiriat. Actually, if you were in Israel today, you would see the sign that would say Kiriat Arba or would it say um, Kiriat Gat or one of these type of places. And that's like city of. Okay, so that would be like the city of Arba. And, uh, and so that's what this is. And it's actually, um, we know it as Hebron. And so he buys the, 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 the possession. And so this is, what is interesting about this is this is the first possession of the people of God within, within Canaan. And here it is in, in Hebron. And so he buries Sarah in the cave of, of uh, Machpelah. And, and then it kind of moves on. And that's what happens. You, you, someone dies, we mourn, we mourn. But then we, keep, we have to keep going, right? We have to keep living. And then the next generation has to keep living. And so you turn the chapter to chapter 24 and you see this happening where it's kind of moving. The, the text of Genesis is kind of moving, you know, really from Abraham and Sarah into now it's going to be about Isaac and, and his family for a little bit, and then we're going to move into to Jacob and all that. So for now, it's about Isaac. And so we pick it up in chapter 24 of Genesis, and it's about um, Isaac getting married. It's about finding a bride for Isaac. So let's go to, to Genesis 24 here and take a look at this passage. And there's a lot in this passage um, kind of like Genesis 22, and we'll pick out some of those things as we go through. Uh, Chapter 24, verse 1, it says this, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the, the God of heaven, And the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, to your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this, mass, this matter. So let's stop right there. So Abraham, I love these verses in Scripture where it says, you know, it's just this succinct verse, like Abraham was old, you know? And, uh, and, and that's what it tells us. Abraham was old. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. We're all getting older, and one day it'll be said of us, Charles is old, you know? For now, we're clinging on to, you know, maybe not so, not so old. But so Abraham was old, but what I love about this verse is it talks about that he was blessed of the Lord, that he was blessed of the Lord. And what do you, what do you think, what, what, what is the answer to the question of why Abraham was blessed of the Lord? 
Because Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham heard the call of God to leave his family. In fact, he, he alludes to it in the passage that we just read, where he left his family, he left his land to follow the Lord, to, to obey the call of God, to get out of that area and to go to a new place where God was going to give him and his descendants a new place, a new land. And so he was a person of faith. He believed God. He believed, even as we studied in chapter 22, he believed that even when God had asked him to, to sacrifice his own son, to give his own son, the son of the promise, as a burnt offering unto him, he believed that God, even if he fully carried it out, could raise Isaac from the dead. In fact, that's what the New Testament tells us, that Abraham believed that even if it, he went all the way through with it, that God was able to raise him from the dead. So he, he trusted the Lord. There were times where there were a couple bobbles here and there, like we all have. But he was a man of faith, and he was the father of the faith. And because of that, he was blessed. And if you trust in the Lord with your life, if you trust him for everything that you've got, you're going to be blessed too. And I love that psalm, Psalm 1. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's the first psalm, and it's might be one of the best psalms, amen? Because it talks about the person who trusts in the Lord and who, who becomes that tree planted and, and, and blessed and, 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 is, and, is, uh, and he becomes prosperous and fruitful. Why? Because he's a planting of the Lord. And if you'll be a planting of the Lord, if you'll trust God, you're gonna be blessed too. And it, and, 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 and it won't be just a verse written about you or a line. He's old. She's old. Let it be said of us, he's old, but he's blessed of the Lord. Amen? Amen? And that's what it was said of Abraham. Now, Abraham wanted to make a covenant with his oldest servant because he, they needed to find a bride for Isaac. And so he made his servant, whose name is Eleazar, and we know that from chapter 15. Uh, and, this was, and this was when Abraham, if you remember from chapter 15, this is when a Abraham was kind of calling out to the Lord and saying, look, you said I was going to be the, you know, the father of many nations and his offspring and all this, but it ain't happening. I don't see what's going on here. Um, I don't even have an heir. In fact, my servant, Eleazar, is the heir of my household. So we know that his name is Eleazar. And he wants to make a covenant with Eleazar. And what, what they did was they, I don't, I don't understand all these Middle Eastern, ancient Near East practices, but one of them would, would they would put their hand under the thigh. Um, and, and this was, this was like a, uh, a covenant that, that other people would see this happen. And the, the, uh, the, the, the kids would see. And if the person who made the covenant in that situation went back on it, there would be harsh repercussions because everybody would know that that person broke the covenant because they put their hand under his thigh. So anyway, so what was the covenant about? It was about this. He says, I want you to go and get a bride for my son Isaac, but I do not want you to take a bride for him from among the Canaanites. And I want you to pledge this. I want you to take an oath about this. You will not take a bride for him among the Canaanites. I want you to go back to my country, to my people, and find somebody and bring them back. And, uh, and so Eleazar says, well, how am I going to do this? You know, how's this going to happen? I mean, this is going to be tough. I mean, I, I, you want me to go all the way over, back over there, get a bride for your son? And bring him back? 
I mean, do I need to bring your son with me? He says, no, you will not bring Isaac. We got out of there. <laughs> Amen. God called us out of there. You were not taking Isaac back there, but you go. In fact, the angel will go before you and lead the way and bring you and bring this about. And if you go all the way and you can't find somebody, then you will be released from this covenant. So Eleazar, just a word about that. Eleazar, as you saw in Genesis 22, and if you weren't here for last week's message, what a powerful presentation as we see Abraham becomes a type of the heavenly father. Isaac becomes a type of the son, beautifully portrayed as even Isaac carried the wood of the sacrifice up the hill of Moriah in the exact location that thousands of years later, Jesus, the son of God, would walk, uh, carry a wooden cross to a place called Golgotha to give his life. So Abraham becomes a type of the father. Isaac becomes a type of the son. Eleazar in chapter 24 actually becomes a type of the Holy Spirit. And here's the cool thing. Eleazar is a name that actually means uh, helper. It means God my help or helper or comforter. So you see that he, and these are all actual titles of the Holy Spirit, right? So he becomes in, in, in this ongoing story, which is the historical account, of the patriarchs that we're going through here. So we talked about the typology being an historical account, but then also being a picture of things that would come later and are even happening up until this very moment, which is what we're going to talk about tonight in this chapter. So, um, so the Holy Spirit is that third person of the Trinity. And Jesus, who was the Son, who was sent by the Father... When he was with the disciples, he promised the Holy Spirit, right? He said, I'm going away, and it's to your benefit that I go away. For if I go away, we'll, the Father will send the Comforter, right? The Helper, the Holy Spirit. In John, John 14, verse 16, he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. I'm, uh, leave that. Uh, there was a slide for that. You can pop that up. But anyways, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. And so we have the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to help us. He's going to guide us. He's going to comfort us. He's going to convict us. He's going to lead us into all truth. And oh my goodness, do we need the Holy Spirit today? Do we need the Holy Spirit more than ever that has existed in the, in the age of trying to discern what is true, what is false, we need the Holy Spirit whose job it is, is to lead us into truth. Amen? Amen. So this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Now, Eleazar trusted the Lord as he went to go to, to bring about this whole thing that, that uh, in, in finding a bride for Isaac. So let's go back to the text, and we're moving right along here tonight. Pick it up, verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, for all of his master's goods were in his hand. And he, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. 
And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, and the time when women go out to draw water. And then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And now the young woman was very beautiful to behold. A virgin, no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. And then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to, to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for, as for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brothers. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the, to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist. And when he heard his, the words of his sister, Rebekah, saying, Thus this man spoke to me, that he went to the man. And there he stood by his camels at the well. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. And then the man came to the house and unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed and camel, uh, for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have, sp- I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he was given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to the house to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. 
And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife from my son, from my family, and from my father's house. And you will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way which I go, behold, I stand by the well of the water, and it shall come to pass when the virgin comes out to draw, draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink, and she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels a drink also. And then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, who milk aboard to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led, led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may return, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abram's servant heard the words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold, and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. And he also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning, and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that she may go. And he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So, she, so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. And then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Let's stop right there. That's a lot. So, Eleazar is going to find a bride for Isaac, right? And what did he do? He took from his master Abraham's belongings. He took men with him. He took camels. And remember what Abraham told him, that the angel of the Lord would lead him in the way. And so... He goes to uh, this particular well. He gets to this particular city, and he gets to the well. And what does he say? He says, 
he says, hey, if let it be, let it be that, that uh, the, the woman who comes out, he went to the well at the time when the women would come out, and he, probably in the afternoon to, to draw water, and he said, let it be that the one who gives me to drink and also offers a drink to all of my camels, that let her be the one that will be the wife for, for, uh, for Isaac. So right when he is saying this, right when he is basically praying this, Rebecca appears and is right there. And she lets her pitcher down and he asks for some water and she gives him some water. And then she obliges to his camels and she says, well, let me, let me draw for your camels as well. And so, man, this whole thing is just kind of happening, right? Here Eleazar is asking asking this of the Lord, and, and the Lord is, is just bringing this all about in his way. And of course, she, uh, he, he gives her some gifts and asks if, if there's room uh, for them to, to come and stay uh, at, at, her, at her parents' place. And uh, Eleazar said, uh, for at, as for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brothers. And I, I love that because there's an idea that, that God has called us to move out and he's called you to things and he's called you to obey him in some, thir- some certain things. And sometimes we're waiting for um, everything to, to crystallize. We're th- waiting for everything to come together before we move out. But there's a principle where we have to begin to step out in faith with what we've been given and the word that we've been given. And we step out and... I love it because he says, being in the way, the Lord led me. And sometimes we find that the Lord brings that provision. He brings that guidance. He brings that direction to us at the exact time that we need it. And there are a lot of people that are sitting somewhere on their hands, waiting for God to do something, waiting God for, uh, for God to change their situation, waiting for uh, provision to come or whatever it is. And God wants you to get on the way. God wants you to get on the way, trusting him and believing him for what he's gonna do in your life. And so that you can echo the words of Eleazar, being in the way the Lord led me. Being in the way the Lord brought these things about. I mean, the world may call it luck, but we call it getting after what God has called us to do and and God bringing about what he wants to bring about in our lives. And so the heart that is seeking to be led by the Holy Spirit will be led by the Holy Spirit. If you're seeking to be led by the Holy Spirit, you will be led by the Holy Spirit. The question is, Christian, tonight, do you want to be led by the Spirit? Who is it that you want to lead you in your life? And do you want to be able to say things like this, that the Lord led me? Do you want to be able to look at the circumstances of your life and say, look what God brought about in my life. Look how God worked. Why? Because you prayed about it, because you acted, because you stepped out, and because God did it. And that, that, that is kind of the story. That is the kind of the, the way that God works and how a testimony is brought about. And when we're looking to the Lord for something, when we're asking God, you know, when no one sits around and says nothing, does nothing, and go, oh, look what God did. 
God never gets the credit for any of that. But what God gets the credit for is when he moves because you stepped out and you've begun to obey him, being in the way the Lord led me. And so that's a powerful, powerful point. Now, I want to begin to kind of draw into kind of the close, but into this aspect of Rebecca being the one. And, um, and what Eleazar does is he goes to the house and he's received into the house. And what does he do when he goes there? Well, he's got he's to tell these people who he is, who he represents, and how great these people are that he represents, right? I mean, did you catch that when we read the, read the chapter? He went through this, he went, he like, wait, 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 before we get to anything else, I gotta tell you why I'm here. I have a master, and he's a great guy. In fact, the Lord has blessed him. In fact, he's incredible, he's become wealthy. He's got gold, and he's got silver, and he's got camels, and he got, and here, Eleazar is just painting this picture of the person of Abraham. And isn't this exactly what the Holy Spirit does, is he paints a great picture of the father and the son. And then he tells them, oh, by the way, he had a son. His wife had a son for him in her old age. And get this, everything that the father has, my master, he's given it to the son. So let me tell you why I'm here. This son that's great, he needs a bride. (laughs) Did you see how Eleazar set that up? He, he, he did this masterful job. And, and, and what we see here is the role of the Holy Spirit in revealing the Father and revealing the person of the Son and that the Son has been given everything by the Father and that we need to receive the Son. Amen? And so it's, it's kind of an awesome, awesome picture of what needs to happen in every, in every person's life. Because, the, because here Eleazar is finding a wife for Isaac and the Holy Spirit's role is to go out and to draw in a bride for the son of God, the son Jesus Christ, amen? Because who is it that draws each and every heart to the Lord? It's the spirit, right? It's the spirit that draws us. It's the spirit that comes alongside to, to convict and to convince us of our sin and our need of of our, of our Savior and of the Son of God. And so the Holy Spirit is in that sense finding a wife, a bride for the Son, gathering a people into the church, the bride of Christ. So Laban, he sees the, uh, he, he sees the gold and the jewelry. And, and um, I did want to mention the, um, I, th- I thought it was interesting, the nose ring, and I thought, I'm not going to read this whole passage and not mention the nose ring. And look, I don't have anything against nose rings. I mean, personally, me personally, I'm not like a nose ring guy. I'm not even a tattoo guy. I don't have a problem if you want to get a tattoo, whatever, but I just have my own personal philosophy that, you know, it's, I, I heard this from a comedian, you don't put bumper stickers on a Porsche, amen, or a Ferrari. I think, I think that's the line. So... <clears throat> Anyways, it's, yeah, you don't put bumper stickers on a Ferrari. Anyways, that's, that's that. But evidently, there's an idea of the, uh, the nose ring that actually was um, a part of this whole 
process um, that you see playing out. And they were, they were given gifts. So Eleazar um, requests Rebecca for Isaac. And Laban and Bethuel said, hey, this thing is of the Lord. This thing is of the Lord. I mean, God has done this. Here is Rebecca. Take her with you and go your way. And then Eleazar worshiped the Lord and he bowed himself to the earth. And then the servant brought out gifts and gold and silver and clothing for Rebecca. And um, this is a beautiful picture of when we when we kind of come to Christ, when we kind of are betrothed to Christ, we're, 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 we're given in that sense to Christ, that the, 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 you know, here you have Eleazar bestowing gifts upon Rebecca. And what it's a picture of is as we come in and become a part of the bride of Christ, it's the Holy Spirit who gives gifts to each person as they come in and become a part of the bride of Christ. Um. Once a person commits themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to shower you with gifts in the Spirit. And Paul, this is, what, this is the way that Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. I'm reading this in the NLT. It says this, It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. And so, how many people feel like you, you're gifted? Amen? Amen. Yeah, you should, you should feel gifted, if, especially if you're in the body of Christ, because you've been given gifts. Um, and, and the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, has given those gifts. Laban and Milcah and Eleazar said to her, um, you know, Eleazar is going to take Rebecca back to Isaac, and, and they say, well, no, wait a second. This is all great. This is the Lord. The Lord's in this. The Lord's doing this. But hold on, stop. Let's, she's going to stay here another 10 days, right? So Eleazar says, don't hinder me. I need to get on my way. I need to go. So they said, okay, well, let's call Rebecca in and let her have the final word. And so they asked Rebecca, and she said, well, the question was, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. I will go. And this is basically the question that each and, each and every one of us are asked. You know, will you go? Will you, will you come to the Lord? Will you give your life to Christ? And, and, and that's, that's, there's only, I mean, there's only really two responses. There's either, no, I will not go, or... I will go. And Rebecca, we see here, she says, I will go. And when I read, when you read this, if you know your Bible, there's another verse of scripture that kind of rings, it rings some bells there. And you think of Ruth, right? When she says, I will go with you, Naomi, and your people will be my people and, and your God will be my God. And Rebecca says, I will go. I will go with you. Rebecca agrees to go immediately. And the principle here is that we cannot wait. 
We cannot wait. The Bible teaches that today is the day of salvation and that there's, there's, you know, when you receive that opportunity to respond to the gospel of Christ, you need to, just like Rebecca, will you go? Will you go? There's no delay. There's no time to delay. There's no time. Jesus had people come to him and said, oh, I'm a, I'll follow you, Lord. But let me go back and tend to some things at the house. Let me, I'll come and follow you after I bury my father, even one man said. And what did Jesus say? Let the, be- let the dead bury their dead. Now, it wasn't that Jesus didn't have care and compassion for this man burying his father, but it was the principle of, if you're going to follow me, you've got to do it today. Do not delay. Do not put it off. Do not say, oh, well, I'll get around to it. Today's the day of salvation, and today's the day that we need to decide to go with the Lord, to serve the Lord. So they wish her, they wish her well, and they wish her to be the mother of thousands and ten thousands. So Rebecca went with Eleazar. So let's go back to the, to the chapter and finish up the chapter and pick it up, verse 62. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. And then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, and for she had said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So you see that Eleazar is bringing Rebekah back to Isaac. And Isaac goes out into the field. And it says he, he went out to meditate in the field. And, and, you know, we're called to be people who meditate. Amen? Um, you say, really? Isn't that kind of like an Eastern kind of thing? The Bible is filled with admonitions that we should meditate on the Lord, that we should meditate on the word. Meditation is something that, that is just kind of going over something. It's kind of going over. In fact, the idea of meditation is actually comes from uh, <clears throat> a word in the Hebrew that is very similar to the idea of an animal, a particular kind of animal, that, that um, basically it's called chewing the cud. And when, a, when a, an, any, anybody know, knows what that is, raise your hand, chewing the cud. Okay, yeah, good, good job, okay. So a cow is something, some, an animal that chews the cud, and what that, I guess a cow has how many stomachs? Four or five, is it four? I thought it was four, but I could be wrong. Um, I think it's at least four. It's a lot of stomachs. Um, <clears throat> man, if you get hungry and you got four stomachs, man, it could be bad. Um, 
But what a cow does when it's eating the grass is it, it chews on the grass and it swallows the grass and then it goes down into the stomach and it come, and then what happens is it comes back up and they chew on it some more. And this is actually called, yeah. And so anyways, so this is, so this is actually called chewing the cud. And the idea of meditation actually has that same idea is that we're, we're chewing on, meditating on the Lord. And we're swallowing that. We're taking that in. We're digesting that. And then, you know what? We're bringing it back up. And we're thinking about it some more. And we're taking it in. And then we're bringing it back up. And the same with the word. So we're to meditate on the Lord. We're to meditate on the word. God told Joshua this. When Joshua took over for Moses, when Moses had died and and the torch was basically being passed, the leadership of the nation was being given from Moses to Joshua, He said this in Joshua 1, verse 8. He said, meditate. He said, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Let it be in your mouth and and meditate in it day and night that you be careful to do what it is, what it says in it. And if you will do this, he says, you will be prosperous and successful. And so what does it mean to meditate on the Lord, to meditate on the word? It means to always have it in your mouth to always have it in your mind. What is it that you're thinking about? What is it that you're dwelling on? That's the thing that is going to become a part of you. It's It's going to become a motivation for you. It's going to become something that moves you. And let it be the Lord and let it be his word. Because he said, if you If you have the word of God in your mouth and you do not let it depart from your mouth, you will be prosperous and successful. Amen? And I love that. Joshua 1.8. Write that down and put that out on Facebook tomorrow. Um, And so Isaac is meditating in the field. And what? And here comes Eleazar and Rebekah. And here's Eleazar saying, and Rebecca's saying, who is, the, who is the man that's come out to meet us in the field? That's my master. And she comes. And I don't know, when you, when you look at, so far in Genesis, we had Abraham, who evidently had a knockout of a wife. I mean, Sarah. In fact, Abraham, remember, we went through a couple chapters where he was so worried that these people were going to take Sarah from him because she was beautiful. And here we have Rebecca, who is gorgeous. She is beautiful. And you have this marriage. And remember what I said in chapter 22, that Isaac was offered on Moriah. Of course, the angel of the Lord stopped, stopped him, spared him. But you don't see Isaac from that time until now, until the bride is being brought to Isaac. And he took her into his mother's tent. And remember, I've talked about the tent complex. Abraham was, again, a wealthy person. The tent complex would have been a, a rather large tent complex. He took Sarah, he took uh, Rebecca into Sarah's tent, and Rebecca, and she, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so the last verse there says, So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So. What have we seen tonight? We've seen that, that God works in a generation. He calls, uh, there's, there's a generation that he calls and he, and he says, I want you to follow me. I want you to obey me. I want you to believe me for this. And 
there's a remnant in that generation that steps forward and answers the call. And then they get old. And, and then it's the next generation that comes up. And Sarah passes away and Abraham's old. And Abraham's going to be passing away soon too. And here's the next generation. Isaac taking a wife and then it's going to get real interesting from here. But remember, God's the God of the generations. I want to leave you with this. We're, we're going to leave a legacy. Each and every person here you're going to leave a legacy to those that come behind you, your kids and your grandkids. And the question is, what kind of legacy will you leave? What will it be said of you? What will they remember of you? Now, I know that there's a lot of people that say, I want, I want them to remember. I want my kids to serve the Lord. I want them to love the Lord and obey the Lord and serve the Lord. And... And, and I want them to remember that about me. Well, then the admonition is, well, then do that. Because your kids will remember that you did that if you're doing that. They're not going to remember something that never happened. They're not going to remember something that was only talked about and not lived out on a day-in, day-out basis. And, I, I, and I've seen this in, 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 in close to 25 years of ministry now. And I've seen this, and it's one of the things that you wish you could sit people down and say, well, you know, and you sit and talk to people, and they say, oh, my kids, and my kids, and my kids, and my kids. Let me tell you about kids. You, they want to be like you. They want to be like you. And if you lead them in a proper way, they will want to be with you, and they'll want to be like you. But if you do not do it in a proper way, they'll say, I ain't hanging around. It's like the cats, it's like the old, uh, what's that song? You know, the silver spoon, cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. You know, we'll get some time later, dad. You know, it's that whole routine. And you've got to invest in the next generation now. And you've got to do that. And it can't be like, oh, well, remember that time that we did that? Remember that time that we, we, we prayed together that one time? We had family devotions that one time. No, it's got to be something that it becomes a part of your life. And that's why church attendance is so important. Church, church, being in church doesn't save you. It doesn't, it, you know, Keith Green was famous for saying, you know, being in church doesn't make you a Christian even any more than being in McDonald's makes you a hamburger, okay? But what it does do is it, it's, it becomes a thing that establishes what the priorities are in your life, who the Lord is in your life, what the values are, and what the priorities are. And those things will not be some osmosis thing and come through the air somewhere and kind of and come down to the next generation if they're not being lived out in a way that is meaningful and that is genuine and that is passionate. Amen? And I just want to leave you with that tonight. God's a God of the generations. We're going to leave a legacy. And I, I want every single person here to leave a legacy to the next generation. A legacy of loving the Lord. A legacy of serving the Lord. A, lo a legacy of being people of faith.